Many autistic children become attached to so-called childish interests, which can often be stigmatized. We explore these interests and share why it's okay to embrace one's inner child. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Welcome back, Embracers. Today, we will be exploring the childlike wonders. Wow, that was was beautiful. (laughs) I don't even know what to call that. But we're basically going to be exploring the more youthful side of autism. There is this common association with autism that many autistic children who start growing into their teenage years and even adulthood still form these like close attachments and bonds to things that you would consider childlike. So like kids shows or stuffed animals or just like toys or like little things that neurotypical peers would have outgrown it by a certain age, but they kind of still latch onto them. Is that like a fair? Right. Things that you would consider too immature or childish for an adult to be playing with or participating with that a lot of autistics continue to appreciate even into adult. I actually decided to call this episode Finding Neverland because it reminded me a lot of Peter Pan, that Peter Pan syndrome. Where you don't ever really want to grow up. Right. Although I guess there's kind of a mixed connotation there. I'm not sure if you're supposed to, in Peter Pan, appreciate that or not. I feel like there's like a little bit of mixed messaging in it. I I thought it was like running away from like becoming an adult because like adults are boring, I guess. Yeah. I don't really know who wins in that. I don't know who really ultimately made the right decision. Was it Peter Pan? Was it Wendy? I feel like they should have met in the middle. Probably should have brought her with. Yeah, but that's <laughs> maybe made it a vacation home in Neverland, and then they could just come back and forth. Right, but this is embracing autism and not reflecting on Peter Pan. But you know what? Reflecting on Peter Pan is a childish hobby. <laughs> Of yours? Of mine. Okay. Not really. No, I'm not actually a fan of Peter Pan. But the whole reason I bring that up is we are naming this episode Finding Neverland for that reason, because it is kind of like exploring what neurotypical society would consider to be kind of like a Peter Pan syndrome that a lot of autistics experience, basically. Yeah, I would agree. But the problem is, I don't know, it's hard because of like culture, you're not really sure like when certain things should be phased out by like, when is it acceptable for a three year old, but not like a five year old to be interested in something. And I do feel like that is definitely culturally based. I think different cultures have different rules. But generally speaking, at least here in what you consider like American culture, it typically is looked down upon if you are exploring things like blues clues in your 20s, for example. Well, the only reason I raised that question is I had a coworker and she used to take, um, I think it was like her nephew who was eight years old to Disney World. And apparently he was being bullied by the other kids in his class because they're like, oh, Disney World is for babies. And I'm what? like, at right, eight? right. And that's what I thought. <laughs> so like, it's kind of like, I mean, you never really know like what, I mean, on some of these things, I mean, others, it might be a little bit easier to tell, but on some things you never know what kids will be made fun of or like what age there's a cutoff or something. Right. So this topic actually came to me through a conversation that I recall having on social media with somebody. I think this was probably about a year back, but I remember there was this one parent that was basically posting on Facebook and they were basically saying like, 
help. My kid is 12 years old and they're still obsessing with Blue's Clues. It's embarrassing. I just know that he's going to get made fun of at school. I don't know what to do. I keep trying to give him other toys that are more age appropriate, but he has no interest in them and he just wants to keep watching Blue's Clues and playing with Blue's Clues this and that. And they were looking for advice. And I remember when I saw that post, I was kind of like, confused by it because I was like, wait, what's the problem with them watching and liking Blue's Clues? I don't, I didn't really see anything wrong with it at the time. I think it could be, I mean, just like parents want to take a proactive approach to try and prevent any type of bullying. So something that they might have perceived as like, oh, it's an easy target to make fun of him for watching a show that is meant for, I guess, like preschoolers or like kindergartners. So they might see him as an easy target to like mean kids at school rather than like accepting of him. Yeah. And I think that there's two things that I can kind of share from my perspective, growing up autistic and being that person. (laughs) So I will openly confess, I am very much so the type of autistic who is into childish things as well. I still have stuffed animals. One of the first things you got me as a gift when we were dating was a bunch of stuffed animals, right? That's true. White, yeah, and white I, tigers. Specifically. White tigers specifically because I collect them. <laughs> oh, yeah, collecting things. There, there we, go. we go. And I'm also very much so into a bunch of cartoons that I think are just like cute and adorable. Like I personally am a fan of Blue's Clues, the original, only Steve. I don't do none of this new second, third generation. I want the original. It's still living strong. There are a bunch of these kind of like nostalgic things that I'm into. And I know that, you know, some people say, oh, you know, nostalgia is okay, but you can't take that out into the real world, for example. Some people might say it's appropriate to wear a Blue's Clues shirt at home. Just don't wear out in public if you're in your 20s. For me, I'm just like the type of person that's like, no, if you want to wear it, go ahead and wear it. Like as long as you're okay with the fact that people might look at you funny or they might make a comment or perhaps may or may not choose to hang out with you based off of that, because that's the reality and we can't change other people's behaviors. So if that's something that you really care about, then I would advise against it. Me personally and a few other neurodivergent people that I've hung out with growing up, We don't honestly care what people think in terms of that. Like we are willing to be our authentic selves and not really care if people appreciate that or not. Instead, we use that as a way to kind of signal to each other. Like if you're wearing that shirt, you know that if you see someone else wearing it on the street, you're like, oh, that's my person. I know that we're going to get along because it takes balls to wear that in public in your 20s. But I think that might be honestly the split between the autistic mind and kind of the neurotypical parent mind, in my opinion, because you, I guess you have a very strong identity of self where you don't need someone to tell you like, oh, that's not cool or whatever. But I feel like for some of like the neurotypical parents might worry that their kids will get bullied and they're worried about like something that may not happen. So, I mean, I I remember seeing like a a story where it was, it was a neurotypical kid for Halloween. He dressed up as like Tony Stark, not actually Iron Man, but Tony Stark, like with the sunglasses and all that. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool costume because I actually like Iron Man and Tony Stark, but apparently he was made fun of at school and he was, he was in elementary school. He was made fun of at school because I guess it wasn't cool or whatever. So there's all sorts of things that I feel like neurotypical kids would be made fun of. But if he was autistic and was very strong rooted, like, no, I'm going to be the best Tony Stark, gosh dang it. And then they could make fun of him and he can be just like, okay, like I'm Tony Stark, like who cares? So I guess it really depends on kind of the mindset of like your own identity, I guess. That actually would be the perfect one because 
Tony Snark is so snarky that, or snark, I said snark. <laughs> he's so snarky that it would be perfect because then he could sass back all the other kids and just say he was in character. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to say, and my sunglasses that I wear on a daily basis may or may not be the Tony Stark sunglasses. So just throwing that Yeah, you play there. Tony Stark every day. I know. <laughs> so... Another thing to take into consideration is that a lot of these things that we bring that are considered quote unquote childish into adulthood, these are things that we've bonded with our entire childhood. My stuffed animals that I have, I've had for years. And I had my baby blanket that I kept until I was about 12 or 13 years. I slept with it. And then I think after that, I just kept it near my bed all through college. And then even to this day, I have it packed somewhere. Like I never got rid of it. It's just kind of like this comfort thing. And I just am a firm believer of the philosophy of like, if it's not harming anyone, let it be. Like these things provide comfort and they don't hurt anyone. So what does it matter if other people don't like it? I think as if the parents are able to arm the child, letting them know like, hey, some kids might make fun of you or draw attention to your interest in Blue's Clues or whatever it is, just to give them like knowledge, if they're able to have that conversation, just letting them know like sometimes the world isn't kind and super accommodating or accepting of what we actually enjoy. But as long as you're okay with those people like trying to make fun of you or bully you and you don't care regardless, then I mean, I don't see the harm necessarily in enjoying what you love. Right. And you have to keep in mind that a lot of these like hobbies or toys that they tend to come out of or develop through some sort of like routine that the child has developed throughout life. For example, our child has been attracted to ducks since she was like one and a half or two. She is now four and a half and she's still to this day consistently obsessed with ducks. Everything is ducks for her. And so I can easily see her developing this like love for ducks through adulthood because so far it has not changed at all. It's still her obsession. And so if you think about it for autistic individuals who really crave this sense of routine and really have difficulties with change and transition, having that thing that stays constant with them throughout their life can be a source of comfort. It can be like their life transition thing. You know, it can be the thing that gets them through those hard times. So why not allow them to have that comfort item or that thing that helps them get through the tough times? And I agree. I mean, because it's not like we suddenly take away her ducks and hand her like a Barbie princess and be like, no, no, ducks are gone for you. Now it's just princesses and whatever moving forward. So, I mean, I think, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt anyone. And I mean, she wouldn't care one way or the other. If someone was like, I don't like ducks, she would be like, she would probably quack at them or something. Like, <laughs> I mean, she, she wouldn't care. And I don't think there's any way anyone would convince her that she shouldn't play with ducks. Yeah. And honestly, most kids don't really notice or care unless other people start pointing it out naturally, they're not going to think there's anything wrong with it unless somebody tells them there's something wrong with it. So I personally, as the parent, like I don't want to be that person who tells them there's something wrong with it because there really isn't. It's the world and the culture and the, the society that suddenly decided to dictate that, oh, at this age, you shouldn't be playing with toys. So I just feel like that's just something that kids should grow up and explore themselves. And just if they don't outgrow a particular toy, then so be it. I mean, you still have toys that you bring to your office. I do. I have uh, right now I have my um, walking dead like zombie figurines like right, right <laughs> in front of me. I found them in a box. So I put them here. So yeah, they're toys. Right. But, but also like, I mean, I guess I'm not sure parents worry about like, oh no, like if they go into adulthood with this strong interest in whatever, but there's also jobs. Like, I mean, because even though they're getting older, they can still cater to like a younger audience. Yeah. Like I mean, 
Like Lego Master? Well, even I was just thinking like even Coco Melon. Like there are adults who created Coco Melon and they're making a ton of money just on like little nursery rhymes and animation and such. I mean, it's the same thing with like George Lucas. Like I, I remember an interview where they were saying like his dad was really disappointed because he was so obsessed with the fantasy world. And I mean, now he's a billionaire off of Star Wars. So, I mean, there still are opportunities if they have this interest that they can try and incorporate kind of down the road. And I find it interesting because a lot of the struggles that autistic individuals face early on in life is that lack of imagination and imaginative play. And then we find that eventually many kids can get there and they do start showing interest in these things like toys and cartoons and all that stuff. And then it just seems like once they hit a certain age, adults kind of forget how difficult it was to get them to even be interested in those things in the first place. And then they're like, oh, you're too old for these now. Let's take them away. Remember the beginning, like go back to the beginning and remember how hard it was, at least for us with our girls, to get them interested in any toy. Yeah, I was just thinking like potentially what they're thinking is like, well, it took me forever to figure out how to play with it. And now you want me to be done playing with it. Like, what's what's the deal? kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just like the person who's just like, I want to appreciate all the small things and not take anything for granted. What happens with our kids and like what they enjoy or what they do in life, like that's us. That's between us as a family. And the out outside world can basically just go do their own thing and not really worry about us because it's our life, our bubble. And although our bubble does have to interact with that outside bubble, that bubble doesn't dictate what our bubble does. Yeah. So I definitely think that, I mean, you can like reinforce like the interest. And then as long as they're aware there's mean people in the world, I mean, there's mean people everywhere. They might not like this. They might give you a hard time, but like kind of you do you essentially. Another thing that's common with autism kind of along the same line is autistic children as they get older. I mean, honestly, it starts off as they're young too, but you may have noticed this with your children. But with our children, we definitely notice that they tend to have a preference for the ages of other kids that they want to play with. So typically, autistic children will either want to hang out with somebody who's much older than them or much younger than them, usually for different reasons. So the much older we've realized with our kid was mostly because she didn't really know how to initiate play. She didn't really know how to direct play. And because of that, she was attracted to older children who could kind of initiate that and dictate that for her so that she could kind of be a follower since she didn't know how to lead those social relationships. Whereas for other people, like myself, for example, as an adult, I've always been attracted to much younger kids. Like I always, as an adult, if I go to a room and I see a room full of people and I see a bunch of women my age in one corner and a bunch of kids in another corner, I gravitate towards the kids. They, they know how to play better, probably. <laughs> yeah, they play catch right. No. <laughs> But I gravitate towards the kids because I naturally feel like it's much easier for me to have a, a social relationship with a child than an adult in the sense that I can connect with them on a level that I have a lot harder of a time connecting with women my age. With women my age, I'm not really interested in the same things they're interested in. We don't really have a whole lot in common and it gets boring real fast and I just don't know how to navigate that. But with kids, I'm so much in tune with my inner child that honestly, a lot of the things that kids are playing with today and interested in today are reboots of things that we liked as children. Like there's the new Blue's Clues now. There's like the new Disney shows now, like DuckTales and all this that were from our childhood. So I have that connection with the kids that I can call upon. So I can talk to them about Blue's Clues and I know who Steve is. I know who Josh is, all that stuff. 
I can talk to them about the latest toy or whatever because I have a four-year-old and three-year-old that are into those things. So like I'm in the know when it comes to those things. So it's a lot easier for me to navigate those conversations with a child. It's kind of weird. I know that it's definitely not considered quote unquote normal. And people would probably be like, that's weird. You should have friends your own age. But I mean, I'm not making friends with these kids first of all. It's not like I got them on speed dial my phone. I'm like, hey, Kiki, what up, girl? <laughs> Kiki, well, two things. Was first, it Kiki the one from Cocoa Melon or is it is it Ye- Keiko? Yo-Yo. No, Yo-Yo is the, the animal. I'm talking about the little girl. Yo-Yo. That's her name? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, no. No, I'm talking about the friend, the classmate. Cece. Cece. Okay. It's Cece. See, Kiki, Cece. Not too far off. It's probably spelled I think the same Kiki's way. Kiki's a cat. What a tangent. <laughs> okay. You can tell we watch too much Kokomo. Speaking of watching childish things, that's a perfect example. I could go on a rant with a little kid about the name of a character from Cocomelon. And get it wrong. But um, <laughs> no, you raise I mean, a good point as far as like our oldest wanting to play with older kids. So she's what, four and a half. Mm-hmm. And when we go to the playground, we see her flocking to like what middle school age kids yeah. or even, heck even older. Yeah. So my thing is more of like a worrisome, like the age difference, because like she obviously wouldn't be able to keep up with them. But I mean, otherwise, like, I mean, when she plays with her cousins, they're middle school and like older elementary they're, school. Yeah, middle and, and old. she she does fine with them. So I feel like when we know like the environment, it's perfectly fine, I think. It's definitely a thing that I feel like raises eyebrows to the untrained eye. I feel like a lot of parents get nervous about that because, again, we're worried about the judgment the society will have. It's really all about what will people think. And honestly, I've kind of learned through this whole process, not even the process of having autistic kids, but just growing up neurodivergent myself. I was judged a lot growing up and initially, I mean, very initially, like elementary age for a couple of years, I maybe kind of cared a little bit, but I learned really quickly not to really care what people thought because I could tell that people didn't get me and I could tell that people didn't care to get me. So I was kind of like, well, if they don't care enough to get to know the reasons why, if they don't care enough to get to know me before making a judgment, then why should I care what they think? And that's kind of like a philosophy that I've kept into adulthood, that I don't really think that I should care what people think about me and my kids and our family's life choices if they think it's weird, if they're not even willing to get to know us. Right. And I find that that is typically the struggle of kind of just like the social interactions among people. There is definitely a lot of peer pressure, especially when it comes to kids, as far as like what's cool, what's in and all this stuff. So if your kid doesn't really care about that sort of thing and that peer pressure or social engagement, then I think that you're, I mean, kind of in a good place because it doesn't matter essentially to them because they probably won't care if people are saying like, oh, that's not cool or whatever. Yeah. So when it comes to that question, should I discourage my teen or my adult autistic child from playing with toys or other childish things? I would say, first of all, to look at that question within context. Are those things causing them damage, like harm, like actual harm, not like other people might not like them or something like that. It has to be something more extreme than that. Like, is it that they're spending so much time watching Mario that they are no longer hanging out with anyone in public? Is it that they're so obsessed with a toy or stuffed animal that they've decked out their whole room with it to the point where they're sleeping on the floor because there's no space on their bed or this or that? Is it something that you'd see kind of like on hoarders or like an addiction pattern or something like that where it's actually probably more damaging? 
then it's doing good. If it's one of those like extreme cases, then that would be kind of like a situation where I might question that and be like, hold on a second, let's take a look at this. But if it's just a matter of they have a hobby like everyone else does, and it just so happens that their hobby is different than everyone else's, I would just let that go and let them have that joy. Yeah, I think it's safe to draw a line at like addiction. Just (laughs) throwing that out there. Well, I guess it depends on what you're defining as the addiction, but... Yeah. As far as like total consumption of like who you are, like where it's like an unhealthy. Yeah. It has to be having like a negative impact on their life. And I feel like that person should also perceive that as a negative impact because what we as a adult and what people as neurotypicals would consider a negative impact may not be to that person. If somebody had said that, Leah, you should get rid of your love for all things medieval because it's isolating you from people and they think that you're weird because all you want to talk about is medieval history or whatever. And because of that, you're not making friends. Therefore, this is unhealthy. I'd be like, well, I don't want friends who are not into medieval things or can't appreciate that I'm into medieval things. So basically, buzz off. (laughs) Or if they say, Leah, can you put down the axe because we're making us a little uncomfortable? I would never get an axe. (laughs) I have daggers and swords but i would never get an axe well i'm just i'm just saying like you just yeah holding weapons Eh, axe are lame (laughs) axe axe are lame axes axes are lame axe (laughs) i it's like cacti wow what i'm trying to get at here is i feel like this is kind of honestly for me personally like a non-issue there are people out there that make this an issue and i understand the concern I understand where that concern's coming from because usually it comes from a place of wanting to protect your child from like bullying or being ostracized or those sorts of things. But what I think about is when they are getting bullied, when they are getting ostracized for these behaviors, I think about, well, would I want my child to be friends with a person who would do that? Would that person be a good influence in my child's life? Is that someone I would want them to be friends with? Is that someone I would want them to be like? And honestly, to me, the answer is no. Yeah, that's smart. It kind of is a way of weeding out bad potential friends, essentially. Yeah, I would mostly just, I mean, for me, I think as long as they know that, oh, there are mean kids who might make fun of you. And if they're okay with still having their love of Blue's Clues, then I'm kind of like, okay, like, go for it. Yeah. And honestly, every adult will find that person. Like me going through adulthood, being into really nerdy things growing up, I was able to find my nerdy friends going to conventions. Actually, Matt and I met at a comic convention. That is where we met each other. That's true. Well, I'm also thinking like if you were to dress up as like Steve for like Comic-Con. Like, That'd be no, hilarious. Well, no one would think twice either. They'd be like, oh, it's Steve. Like, I mean. Yeah. And you can do that as like an adult. I mean, so I, there is a group of people out there for pretty much everyone. Yeah. And I mean, there are people out there who will like appreciate you for that. Like there's people out there. Actually, when I met you the first time I met Matt, it was at a comic convention and I was in costume. My hair was blonde and I was like, I was in a total like comic character costume. So we ended up married with kids. So, you know, it just matters like who you're attracting in terms of like what you have in common, where you meet these people. I actually think it's a good idea to let their kind of like inner nerd flag fly. And to go to these places where there might be nerds who kind of feel the same way as them because that's where they're going to find their friends. For me, my safe zone growing up was with kind of like the nerds and the geeks. We had a lot of stuff in common. And one of the things we had in common is that we didn't care what people thought about us. We're just going to be our authentic selves. And with each other, we're allowed to be and it's safe. And so the goal would be finding your kids that group of friends, finding those friends who don't care that you're into this stuff and still appreciate you for who you are and might get you a Blue's Clue stuffed animal for your birthday because they know you'll love it. And I feel like 
nowadays things have gotten a little bit easier because like when we were kids, we didn't really have much social media. So like nowadays, if you go on like Facebook and you type in like Blue's Clues Club, I'm sure something will come up and there's probably a group or community. <laughs> I just think a Blue's Clues Club <laughs> is probably going to be a group of like five-year-olds in it. <laughs> you find your people. You meet them where they are. I feel like that's probably not the best place to find okay, them. <laughs> okay, fine. Ba- Blue's Clues is a bad example. <laughs> yeah. Type in like anime club or something. Is Whatever that- it is that they're into, I guess. Right. Duck club. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wonder if social media is the best place for that. I feel like you'd probably find some real sketchy groups. Well, just avoid those. I mean, but <laughs> but I feel like it's easier to find like a group of people like using. Internet. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I just but, think it's kind of like a, a double-edged sword. It's like social media. You'll either find that perfect group or you'll find something you really didn't want to find. Right. So just tread carefully. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Do the searching as a parent for your child. Yeah, probably Just good. in case. There you go. Yeah. But there's also a lot of like physical meetup groups nowadays that are like hobby clubs and things like that. You can go like meetups.com, I think is what it is. And you can find things by hobby there. Like I used to look for like Dungeons and Dragons or things like that, where you can find like a group of people who are into those things that meet up in person. If your kid's into gaming, there's a lot of like virtual gaming groups where people play like Mario Kart remotely or Smash Brothers or whatever it may be. So there's definitely like these kind of like geeky inner circles that I honestly think in my experience are far more welcoming of neurodivergent kids, people who are autistic, ADHD. Honestly, the geek community is way more accepting of that population than the neurotypical population is. Plus, I feel like it's more fun altogether, I mean, just, <laughs> just from personal experience. That's true. But we're also nerds. If you feel like your child is interested in things that are too, quote unquote, immature for their age, I would kind of just take it on a case by case basis and see, are those things inappropriate? Are they things that could be harming them or might ultimately end up in a pretty significant consequence to them? Or are these things that you just might find personally embarrassing you wish your kid didn't do because other kids his age don't do it? If it's one of those things where it's a matter of we as a parent just find it embarrassing or we wish that they were more into what the other kids were, I think that's where we as parents have to do some self-reflection and like realize, is this really important? Is it worth taking my child's happiness away to basically do something that comforts me? And I think this is also where you'd probably try and play a little bit of detective too, to kind of gauge like, okay, how do they perceive others who are not interested in whatever the topic is, Blue's Clues or whatever, and to see if they actually care one way or the other. But then also just to kind of learn more about their interest in that topic altogether. Play it by ear. If you feel like it's hurting your child in a significant way, then obviously that's something to address. But if you just feel like it's something that's just awkward or uncomfortable for you as a parent, but it's not hurting your child, just let them do it. With that said, we're going to wrap up this episode and remind you all, this is our final episode of this season. We will be wrapping up with another audio episode of our Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series next week. So stay tuned for that and we will give you a little preview of it to come. Also, make sure to stick around to our social media accounts at Autism Wish. So that's Facebook at Autism Wish and Instagram at Autism Wish. And we just got a YouTube handle. So it is now youtube.com slash at Autism Wish, the at symbol. You will find all of our videos there. We do a live Q&A at the end of every season. So I would go and follow us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Autism Wish. And you will get an alert when 
when we go to schedule our live Q&A. You can ask us questions about anything and we'll be there to answer it. And we'll also have more information about upcoming things in the new year. I hope you guys stick around for that IRL episode. We will give you a preview to come and thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. In summary, we noted how allowing our autistic children to seek comfort in some of their childish ventures can not only create routine and a safe space, but also provide them with a connection to other like-minded peers to form potential new friendships. We also mentioned how as parents, we should not allow others to let us or our children feel shame for simply finding joy in different ways. Finally, we share that as parents, it's up to us to ultimately decide when a hobby or behavior becomes harmful to our child and when it warrants an intervention. However, these decisions should be made with consideration to your child's needs and interests. This wraps up Season 6, Life on the Spectrum. Tune in next week for an audio version of the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast interview with DME owner of Babies on Broadway, Adele Sterren. In this interview, we discuss how to get a prescribed wonderful wagon for your autistic child through your medical insurance for elopement risk and sensory needs. This is Embracing Autism. 